2: Welcome to Cramerica. I hope you want to make friends. I'm trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Growth without inflation is a wonderful thing. Which is why the Dow roared 197 points, s gained 0.96%. And yes, the Nasdaq pole vaulted 1.58% after we saw today's phenomenal non-farm payroll report. just in 49 years. Despite all the grousers who want the Fed to raise or lower rates... The truth is that the status quo is fabulous for stocks. That's a relief, because right now, I I have to tell you, you know, I've been growing more and more concerned with froth, especially in the IPO market. Just look at this Beyond Meat deal, getting gained another 1.5% today after its 163% move yesterday. At one point, by the way, it was up eight more points than the $66 close. Well, that makes me worried. And yes, I am gun-shy. I mean, come on, the NASDAQ has enjoyed six straight weeks of rallies, an extraordinary feat that shows you just how enthusiastic people are for this market. Of course, that's not what you want to see if you're a bull. Rallies are fueled by skepticism. When all the skeptics become believers, you start to run out of upside. The froth meter will be sorely tested next week because Uber's finally coming public. People keep asking me what I think the ride sharing colossus what you should do, including many regular retail investors who are being offered stock in the actual IPO, including some Uber drivers. Here's what I think. That's actually worrisome. See, it's not a great sign for the Uber deal if lots of ordinary people are being offered stock, even though I want everyone to make money. When big institutions believe in an IPO, they try to monopolize it all. They circle it all. And there tends not to be much stock left over for individual investors. Tight as a drum. This deal right now at this moment, is not tight as a drum. And you want it to be so that there's nobody getting stock who's just going to flip it. After the spectacular rallies from Pinterest, Zoom, and now Beyond Meat, it feels like that we're coming into this Uber deal way too hot. I expect it to price on Thursday night for Friday morning. So be careful. I will give you all week next week. I'll give you my wrap on it as best as I can because it's very secret, but I'm going to do whatever I can to try to tell you how tight it is. Speaking of Beyond Meat, well, Monday morning, we get results from Tyson Foods, the gigantic meat and poultry company that's now investing in plant-based faux meat alternatives itself. And, by the way, they had a stake in, uh, in Beyond Meat. Uh, their own fake meat comes out later this year, and I think that they'll tell us about it at length. Now, you have to ask yourself, will that put the kibosh on Beyond Meat? Is that why that stock was up really big and then closed at its low or near Well, you got to remember, there's really nothing proprietary about this business, which means there's nothing stopping Tyson from flooding the market with a cheaper alternative. That is one of the reasons why I've been so concerned about this red-hot stock. I'm sure those of you who got a piece of the deal think I'm crazy, but I fear euphoria a lot more than I fear doom and gloom. And this move is incredibly euphoric when you consider that Beyond Meat's got real competition in the form of Impossible Foods, a company that's already teamed up with Burger King, and down the road, Tyson, which is so big. My view, if you own Beyond Meat, you know what? I think it's time to pull Steve Miller here. And I don't mean speaking with the pompous of love. I mean taking the money and running, you space cowboy, you. After the close Monday, we hear from two oil companies. These are pretty interesting and different. Occidental and Pioneer Nat, Pioneer Natural Resources. Occidental is locked in a bidding war with Chevron over Anadarko. And unless Chevron comes back with a higher bid, I think Oxy will get the prize. Although we got some weird monkey wrench thrown in tonight when Carl Icahn Billionaire Carl Icahn really took a stake in Oxy, uh, and that drove it higher in after hours trading. I have no idea of his intentions. One of the reasons, though, I think that Occidental will win in its battle with Chevron, they borrowed 10 billion smackers from Warren Buffett at a ridiculous, frankly, 8% rate. I think they could have gotten much better terms from the mafia. I'm going to give you more on that later. All right, a little facetious, but this was, this was not my kind of story. Now, Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway holds its annual meeting this weekend, and he's speaking with CNBC's own Becky Quick on Monday morning. Be aware, Buffett's sunny disposition usually colors the Monday session after the weekend meeting. Matter of fact, he used to joke that it was the great time to sell at the end of the day because he doesn't have a meeting again on Tuesday. How about Pioneer Nat? All right, this is an interesting story because I believe that for the right price, CEO Scott Sheffield would happily sell the business. He left, he retired, then he's come back. The problem is there's really not that much a potential acquirer could do to improve things, given that Pioneer's already an incredible operator with some of the best properties in America. So why buy it knowing that you can't get any sort of, uh, let's say, synergy out of it, or you can't get any more out of it than Sheffield got? So I don't think Pioneer, I like the stock, but I don't think it's going to get a bid. All right, Tuesday morning, Emerson reports, and this is a pure industrial conglomerate that I like very much. Emerson will tell the tale of the tape ahead of what may be the home stretch in the trade negotiations with China. They have a lot riding on potential deal because they do a ton of business with the People's Republic. I'm expecting a good but not perfect quarter because while our economy is roaring, the rest of the world is not so hot, and they are a truly international business. We also get results from Allergan, the beaten down drug company that's just fresh off a proxy challenge by David Tepper's Appaloosa Management. Allergan's CEO Brent Saunders triumphed, but he can beat the endless sellers who are very worried about the lack of major new drug approvals. Not clear. And just so you understand, he's chairman and CEO, and Appaloosa wanted them separate. Uh-uh. He gets to stay both. The video game stocks got dinged today by a not-so-hot quarter from the hit-challenged Activision Blizzard. They just don't have enough major new titles in the stable to light a fire under the stock. How about EA, which reports Tuesday after the close? I think it all comes down to their smash hit, their new uh, Battle Royale game, and I don't know if that will be enough. I say don't buy it. Oh, and let's not forget that we hear from Lyft, which will be really interesting with the Uber IPO coming up. The good news, when a company comes public, the first quarter out of the shoot tends to be very strong. The bad news, unless Lyft's results are downright incredible, I think your shareholders will sell it to raise money so they can buy Uber. On Wednesday, Disney reports, I don't expect any fireworks here, given the fact that they just had a gigantic analyst meeting. If you haven't already bought any at Disney, I'd actually wait here, uh, as there's always somebody who will be disappointed by earnings in the wake of a monster run like this one. You want some excitement? at least in my world, you probably may not think it is, but I think it's exciting, check out Intel's analyst meeting. I'm betting the semiconductor Titan will try to clear up the palpable sense of disarray that we heard on that latest earnings conference call. Now, we had AMD's Lisa Su on the show this week, and she told us a terrific story of robust sales in many of the same markets that Intel punted on. Maybe they'll have more to say in their defense. I sure hope so, but it's possible AMD is simply eating their lunch. Thursday, we hear from Norwegian Cruise Lines, and I think this is going to be a good one. Stock's right near a 52-week high, uh, so you don't want to get – let's hope it gets hit ahead of time earlier this week, and then you can pull the trigger. Uh, highly unlikely, but I, I can't count on buying something this high up, even if it's pretty close to perfect. But this may be a good one to buy if we get selling earlier in the week. After the close, we have the Internet companies that dominate housing and restaurants, Zillow and Yelp. Zillow's got new management. Will they unveil some sort of restructuring, change that way that they were doing things with the home flipping? I, I think they need one. Meanwhile, after spending a lot of time in purgatory, Yelp seems to be coming back in style, and the Wall Street Fashion Show could deliver a good number. Friday, we hear from Viacom, where the stock has been a bit of a beast lately. I'm betting I'll have a good quarter. But that's not why people own it. They aren't hoping for a merger with CBS. If you don't get one, stock's will be left in the waste even if the quarter is strong. Finally, Marriott reports, too. And I expect the earnings will be solid. More important, today we learned that CEO Arnie Sorensen has been diagnosed with stage two pancreatic cancer. Arnie says he's going to work through the treatment. That's terrific. I wish him all the luck in the world. He's a terrific guy. So let me give you the bottom line. We've got a run, runaway freight train of a market right now, and I'd love to see the darn thing cool off for more than just a session or two. It shouldn't be this easy to make money, because trust me, periods like this one never last that long, and they almost always end badly. Jared in Kentucky. Jared. Hey, Jim, 19-year-old college student calling. There you go, nineteen-year-old college student who gets someone to watch TV. He's not a cord cutter. He's a he's a mad money watcher. Let's go to work.
1: <laughs> uh, my question is about a biomed. It dropped fifty dollars Thursday morning after the Q4 earnings, and it came back to even in the session. Is it still a buy right here?
2: You know, I like that one. Uh, that one in E and uh, Edwards Life Sciences uh, are good. There was an analyst who didn't like the uh, the. Um, Byman, I I, I I like the quarter. I don't know. I mean, I think that's I think it's fine. I do prefer Edwards Boy though, EW. I think it's better. Phil in Pennsylvania. Phil. Hey, Kramer, big booyah to you. Hey, right my question's about uh, CBS Corp. After a missed
3: earnings report last night and a scandal with a, a former CEO and the possible deal with Viacom. Uh, is this stock still worth looking at?
2: Um, yeah, it sells at eight times earnings. It's not expensive. I prefer Viacom. It's sister company. My Chapel Trust owns stock in Viacom. Uh, they report on Friday. CBS was fine. I, I don't have a great thesis for it. I, you know, a merger, you probably get 10% game. Let's go to Mark in Pennsylvania. Mark.
3: Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call from Scranton.
1: I appreciate the knowledge you impart night after night. Really, really appreciate it. A lot, of, really cr- a lot it. of Kramers in Scranton,
2: my grandfather's yes, brother's. Okay, what's up? Well, get out.
1: Get out. Listen, I'd like to know your thoughts on
3: Kraft Heinz. You know, my time horizon is probably about 10 years. My cost in is $58 a share. I love the dividend, but I'm wondering if I should just cut my losses at this point and identify another opportunity.
2: You know, I cannot count on selling it down here. I have to believe this stock keeps trying to bounce. If we can get this thing up to, say, like 11 times earnings, in other words, let's say the stock goes, I don't know, let's, let's, let's say the stock goes to 40. Uh, That's where I would sell it. I don't want you to sell right here. It's got a 5% yield. Uh, It feels a lot like Dow Chemical. Whoa, another 5%. So let's hold on and get a better price later. I'm very concerned that this market is getting frothy. I'd like to see stocks pull back a bit and stop this endless momentum. I know it feels terrific. I don't want this thing to get out of hand. We we'll made money tonight. Borrowing money isn't an art, it's a science. I'll tell you how Occidental and Tesla experimenting. Well, how about that Carl Icahn? Maybe he's stalking Oxy. We don't know. That ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep portfolio managers from getting to you, babe. I'll explain And if you're lucky, maybe even sing, I don't know. Well, uh, Marvin Gaye and I have never really been that girl. I love them. Love them. And it's a company that works with the likes of Mondelez, Walmart, and Bayer. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO.
3: head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.
2: Borrowing money is not an art. It's a science. If you can borrow at 2% with a weak balance sheet or at 8% with a stronger balance sheet, you take the 2% money, right? You don't think twice. I know that sounds obvious, but in the real world, we saw something unbelievable this week. Vicky Holland, the CEO of Occidental Petroleum, is effectively borrowing $10 billion from Warren Buffett with an 8% coupon in order to raise the capital she needs to acquire Anadarko. That's staggeringly expensive money. Occidental is a major company with a solid balance sheet, and the Anadarko deal makes a ton of sense. They could be uh, do a normal bond offering and get a much lower rate. Just look at Tesla, which is borrowing $1.6 billion at 2% in the form of a convertible bond offered by Goldman Sachs, a brokerage firm that actually rates the stock a sell. Sell, sell, sell. That's incredibly cheap money, given that the benchmark 10-year treasury currently supports a 2.5% yield. From Tesla's perspective, this is basically free money. Tesla's also selling 3.1 million shares at 243 and CEO Elon Musk has expressed interest in buying $25 million worth. With the stock flying higher after the pricing, this secondary has been a good deal for anyone who participated in it. Unlike the money that Occidental's borrowing from Warren Buffett, which could be an albatross around the company's neck, Tesla's bond market money gives them plenty of breathing room. So let's puzzle over this one. Apparently, Buffett was willing to give Occidental as much as $20 billion at that 8% rate. Well, who can blame him? He's getting incredibly favorable terms. Eight percent is much more than it would cost Alexi if they just went to a bank and asked for a loan. Say nothing about going to an investment bank that sells some bonds like Tesla did. But it turns out that Vicky Hogg really loves the Warren Buffett imprimatur to the point where she's willing to pay through the nose for it. If you're a shareholder, you should hate this deal. Hate it. Occidental stock pays a very high dividend that currently yields 5.4%. That yield looks a lot less attractive when you realize Buffett's getting 8%, and he's getting it above you in the capital structure. I find it galling. Now, I recognize that there was a need for speed here. Buffett offered uh, instant money, which Occidental needed. If it wants to win the bidding war for Anadarko, they're competing with Chevron, which is a larger company with deeper pockets. But exigent circumstances can't possibly justify this move. If Oxygen needs to borrow at 8% to make the anti-Darko deal happen, maybe it's not worth doing. Think about it like this. If the price of oil does take a header, Oxygen will be on the hook for a giant slug of cash. They'll have a much harder time paying that back. You don't gamble with the fate of your company, yet I think that's actually what Hall might be doing. Tesla, on the other hand, let's make it out like a bandit. Elon Musk may accuse me of being some sort of kind of a matrix-style computer simulation. But there's no denying that he structured this deal brilliantly. While Hall paid up for the prestige of Warren Buffett, Musk did the opposite. He sought the blessing of Goldman Sachs, which has that cell in the research department. Goldman's basically dissing its own research department to get this done. That's impressive. Look, I get that Buffett's blessing is definitely worth something. Amazon surged $61 today on the news that a portfolio manager, Berkshire Hathaway, actually bought some shares. But, you know, that's kind of nuts. Well, I've been a big fan of Amazon for years, it's madness to bid the stock up $61 because one of Warren Buffett's employees now likes it, too. That's the kind of hero worship that gets you in trouble. Borrowing money should be an economic decision. Tesla made the right call, creating a situation where it could borrow at a ridiculously low rate. And Elon Musk deserves our respect for orchestrating this. But Occidental Petroleum's decision to take this $10 billion from Buffett I'm calling it ill-advised. There's very little justification for paying usurious interest rates when you could easily get a better deal. Now, look, I sure hope it works out for Oxy. But as I always tell you, hope should never be part of the equation. It's different, right? Ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep portfolio managers from getting to you. Think about that song whenever you see down and out stocks suddenly starting to rally on seemingly bad news, because that's the thesis. I've told you before that you can't wait for an actual turnaround to start buying. The biggest gains happen at the beginning of the valley, before the turn is obvious. You have to anticipate. That raises a tough question. If you are anticipating, how long should you wait? You're not betting on when the business will bounce back you're betting on how patient the other money managers are going to be. If there ain't no valley wide enough for some of these bigger dogs, then, well, that's the time frame. When you can't game the game, you have to game the players. It's the actual turn versus the perception that a turn is coming. And sometimes the perception turns out to be very wrong. It's based on nothing but hope. And when a real turn doesn't materialize, the overly optimistic bulls then get slaughtered. Ah. Now, we've seen this play over and over in the story. You know, you see it in earnings seasons where it really comes out. And I, I want to take you some, through some of the highest profile examples, including ones we've talked about here, including one that I've got wrong. Let's start with the one I got wrong. Let's start with the oil cycle. Last night, we spoke to David Demsher, who runs Core Labs. That's a high-tech oil service company. And he told us that it's really just a matter of time before the oil drilling business turns around. I had, I had believed that, too. Seems logical, right? I mean, oil reserves are finite, so if you run an oil company, you need to keep drilling or else you're going to run out of crude. But Core Labs and its oil service fellow travelers like Schlumberger have been predicting this term for ages, and if you listen to them, well, you've had a suboptimal run. And that includes me. I got this wrong. Even as the price of oils rebounded and Anadarko caught a takeover bid, the oil service place continued to struggle. The whole thesis here was that large-scale drilling would rebound along with the price of crude. But crude's back, and drilling didn't. Why not? Because the traditional uh, drilling cycle has now changed. The oil companies spent way too much expanding their production only to get burned. And they've been chastened. Investors have taken the dollars away from the producers who are willing to spend like crazy, natural clients of Core Labs and Slumberger. Instead, they prefer to own producers that are prudent cash managers. It's a wholesale shift. No one saw it coming. Well, some people did, but I know I didn't. And it turns out that there is a valley wide enough to keep portfolio managers away from these stocks. Yep, it's been a huge and disappointing Bust of a non-cycle. So what do you do now? Well, if you still own the oil service place, then it's too late to sell. But normally I tell you to double down at these levels, and I'm not going to do that. I think the spectacular production growth from the Permian Basin in Texas will keep a lid on oil prices for years. Not months. (laughs) Years. Which is why the oil future is out five years now, trading the low 50s, eight to nine bucks below where the crude is trading. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Hey, how about a more positive example? All right. People have made portions betting on a turn in the big commodity semiconductor companies and the related semiconductor capital equipment makers before it's happened. Right now, prices for commodity chips like Flash and DRAMs, they're still going south. Yet, if you look at the stocks of the companies that make up this stuff, like Micron, Western Digital, or the companies that make the equipment for this stuff, like Lamb Research, well, they bought them them five months ago. Not that long ago, I saw an old friend, Dan Niles, a hedge fund manager and former analyst, who came on our air and talked about how this move is happening way too far too fast, implying it has no staying power. Remember, though, we don't need to game the game. We're just gaming the players. When it comes to the semiconductor space, the big portfolio managers have gotten ahead of the turn, and they're not letting go. That said, if you don't own them already, I think that the group may be running out of upside even before the cycle turns at all. Next up, look at Arista Networks, A-N-E-T. It's down 10% today after the company gave some lousy guidance last night. What happened to Arista was purely cyclical. And few gamed it correctly. Here's a networking equipment company that's basically making the plumbing for the cloud. And last night, they hinted that there may be a pause in spending for major cloud provider. And many analysts thought it was Microsoft. That's pretty stunning, because until last night, we didn't even know there was a spending cycle for the cloud. This is supposed to be a secular trend, meaning the growth is steady, consistent. There's no up or down. But I think Arista's just pointing to a pause here and not a cyclical downswing. I'm not worried. Why do I feel that way? Because earlier this week, we had Lisa Su, from, uh, the CEO from AMD. She told us she's seen no downturn in chips for the data center. Now, this one's tough because Bob Swan, the CEO of Intel, saw something similar to Arista when he spoke right after Intel's shortfall. I'm sticking with Lisa Su. I think the continued upward tra- uh, trend in spending for the cloud is not done. Fourth cycle, everyone's waiting for this one, the 5G buildout. Now that this next generation wireless technology has arrived, people are buying Qualcomm. It was up again today, even though Qualcomm cautioned you not to even think, not to anticipate this quickly. They're buying Broadcom. Of course, they're even buying Apple in order to play the 5G cycle. Let me offer a word of caution. Last night, Skyworks Solutions reported a solid quarter, and they talked at length about 5G, but the market would have none of it. My takeaway, 5G is not a magical elixir anymore, but it is a value that managers have been able to see through. Chasing cycles that haven't begun yet is always a high-risk activity. Sometimes it can be downright deadly. I've watched helplessly as the stock of Dow Chemical flails around because Wall Street doesn't seem to believe in the plastic cycle. They just think it's just like that. Dallas tried to present itself as more, one of these more secular growers of the year, but the crunch in the stock yesterday shows that most money, money managers, they're not buying it. that thesis. My view? The new Dallas is paying you to wait with a bountiful 5.3% yield, the highest in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I think that's enough reason to stick with uh, until CEO Jim Fierling I, I fi- figures it out uh, and that we, it, it can start going again. But clearly, I am early. I've over-anticipated. What's the meanest and most insidious cycle of all? People who... People who try to anticipate a turn in the autos. Take take that auto cycle. People simply aren't buying cars at the pace they used to. Not in America, not in the rest of the world either, including China. Blame it on the cost. Blame it on the sharing economy. Uh, Either way, any company that's bet heavily on the auto industry has seen its stock get crushed. Any portfolio manager who bet on a turn in the auto industry, they've had their money get crunched. And by the way, if you want to see that destruction, look at the stocks of 3M and Dow DuPont, the uh, former parent of Dow Chemical. People are now giving up on this one because it's simply been too costly to game the players who are trying to game the auto cycle. Here's the bottom line. Timing isn't easy. If you wait for a particular cycle to turn, you'll be too late. By the time there's clear evidence, you've already missed the move. But on the other hand, if you try to move too early and the cycle doesn't turn, you can end up getting annihilated. That's why you need to be very careful before you try to anticipate a turn. But if you get it right, the rewards are so bountiful that it's almost always worth trying. Just be sure there is a cycle to be had before you pull the trigger. Robert in Florida. Robert. Hey, Jim, I want to give you a Tampa Bay booyah. Really? Okay, I'll take that booyah any day of the week. What's going on? Hey, I'm calling to ask about Crown Castle and the 5G push that they're moving into right now. What do you think? Do you like this price? This is one. Okay, we're talking about the cycle. This is a terrific example of what you should anticipate. Everyone's going to need more towers for the 5G cycle. I am blessing participating in that particular portion of the cycle. That's a good one. Let's go to James in New York. James.
1: Uh, Jim Cramer, booyah, my friend. I know it's a day early, but may the fourth be with you.
2: Thank you. My cousin Jay and
1: I enjoyed debating what we learned from Mad Money. bring our family closer. Once Uh, again, thanks.
2: Hey, you're a good man. Thank you.
1: You got it. I'm taking profits because it's never wrong taking profits. Right. Earlier this week, you discussed the lack of movement in oil services and financials. Yes. Now, oil usually rising through Memorial Day. Some of the vacations aren't planned. Right. You know, should I roll tech profits into oil services and financials? More specifically, Valero. Recently hit ninety-two sixty-seven as it approached the two hundred-day moving average. Okay. On four twenty-five. It pulled back four and a half percent from that high. Uh, it's up nineteen percent on the year. Can we expect this ninety dollar stock to follow through to a hundred and pass through the twenty day well, moving average? You know,
2: I've never. You know, they've raised their dividends to the point where they have a four percent yield, and, and I think the, this refinery cycle has been very, 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 very tricky. Uh, and right now, I is if it didn't have that yield, I would say eh, it's too dicey. I think you're going to be fine. They historically do say, sell at low multiples too. It's a well-run company. And may I just be sure that you know that I love it when families watch together. It is how many families can communicate, younger, uh, you know, people in college with the parents, whatever, younger people, because it's a commonality. Particularly if you have like say political leanings that clash, it's a nice place to be. It doesn't clash. Let's go to Robert in Florida. Robert. Hello, Jim. Robert, what's up? I'm a
3: big fan of you. Thank I you. appreciate all that you do for private investors. Thank you. My question, my question to you. Uh, is about a company in the oil service industry, McDermott International. The stock I see for the past two or three quarters has been bumping along at historic lows. And after acquiring uh, Chicago Bridge and Iron, the right. quarterly losses have been uh, consistent. right. I'm looking at positives though, uh. including a 40 percent increase in the uh, backlog and uh, from a 10 to a 15 billion dollar just in one quarter. Right. A strong institutional position and a good balance sheet. What um, do you think about the stock? Is
2: the bad news behind it? I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. We always called that murder, MDR. That's that's how people joke on the Wall Street. Wall Street. Hey, cynical. But no, I I think that's too dicey. And by the way, sir, just so you know, if you look at what happened with Floor yesterday, that's why I say it. These companies that do construction and engineering, they are too dicey for this guy. Don't try to anticipate a business cycle unless you know that it's a cycle. If it's a non-cycle, you're going to get burned. Much more mad money head from the corner office to the corner store. I'm talking with a company bringing AI from Wall Street to Main Street, really focused on business processing. Then, as corporations look to secure their data, could an under-the-radar cybersecurity play be the way to play? You know, I love that sector. I'll reveal it when we turn into tonight's homework. No wire calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. when a company reports a seemingly good quirk, but its stock doesn't react the way you thought it would. Take GenPak, a company that was spun off by GE back in 2005, and I remember when it was, later went public in 2007. GenPak provides all kinds of business process, outsourcing, information technology services to more than 800 clients. Last night, the company reported a seemingly strong quarter, a 3-cent earnings beat off of a 40-cent basis, higher than expected sales, up 17% year-over-year. Yet after opening strong, uh, the stock uh, was 4% to a new all-time high. Genpack's shares actually slid back, closing up just 1%. Now, you know what this is? This is about expectations. The stock had been red-hot Going into the quarter, it had already rallied more than thirty percent year to date, so it was inevitable that some investors would sell the news even after a terrific quarter but do not take it from me. Let's check in with Tiger Garajan. He's the president and CEO of GenPAC to learn more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Tiger, welcome to Man Money. Jim, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, have a seat. Thank have you. Seat. I think your company's fascinating because I've always watched, I like professional racing. Let's use the case of Virgin, one of your customers. And I always try to figure out, well, uh, when do they know, like the battery's going to die? Yes. And they know it because you do predictive software.
0: Oh, yeah. We, we sit behind the scenes. We're All not right. there. And we not only do predictive software that takes the information from the car, but also the weather, because depending on humidity and temperature, the battery could decay faster than, and guess what, the driver, because if the driver uses the brakes too often, battery will die. I've actually seen a race where the car stops with the finish line just there. How tragic is that? Yeah, I know, I mean, but no
2: <laughs> one else, no one would know, you guys, now you, when I was looking over the, the data that you gave me, one of the things I thought was fascinating, I gotta go right there, Artificial intelligence has a bias? How is that possible? It's artificial intelligence. How could it be rigged down, how could it have a bias? But Jim, it's artificial,
0: right? So which means right. it's based on our intelligence and it's based on the data that you feed it. Okay. So if you take five years of data that, is, that has a bias in it, so let's take the example of in the lending environment, let's say someone has had a bias in lending. Okay. You take all that data, you feed it in, the machine continues to do what you were doing, so the bias continues. So you catch the bias? No, so, so you need to understand what are the biases that could be there in the past data. Okay. And then you say, I want to remove that bias. So you have to then introduce rules over and above existing data to actually change the bias. If you allow regular AI to work on old data, you'll get the new is equal to the old.
2: I found that fascinating because we all kind of presume that AI cleans up everything. Uh, You do some great stuff for Mondelez. They reported a very good quarter quarter this week. It's also predictive.
0: Yeah, what we do for Mondelez is actually very interesting. So we do a lot of work in their finance and accounting group. And think about a group of people who are doing analysis uh, to actually say, here's the trend line of sales, here's the trend line of price, and here's the trend line of costs. You can actually introduce, again, AI machine learning and automate all of that. But what that does is it allows people – to actually then spend more time to understand why. What is happening here? Right. What do I do? A lot of people today and companies spend time preparing the data right. and spend too little time deciding, so what should I do? What AI and machine learning can do, which is why we think about humans and machines working together, is that the machine can do all of that and says, here's the prediction. And then the human says, okay, since I know that's the prediction, here's what I'm going to do to prevent that from happening.
2: Right. Okay, so you also still... Uh, even though spun off by GE, you do a lot of GE work. Again, yes. is it this kind of uh, finance business? And and how do you fend off others? I mean, Workday would like to get into some of your stuff for HR, HR and finance. I'm trying to figure out, like, where you win head-to-head against some of the companies we have on. So
0: actually Workday is a great company. Uh, we do not do HR. Okay. Uh, and we actually partner with Workday to use their technology to actually provide HR services if we have to. We don't okay. do much of HR, but we partner with SAP. We partner with Oracle. We use other people's technology to actually then provide the services and then provide tools that sit on top of that technology, uh, which does AI and machine learning. Because it, the, the reality is the world of digital allows you to go into different technologies, okay. bring the data up, and then provide the predictive analytics that then people can decide what to do with
2: well, when you Let's say an example of, say, when you work with Walmart, which is a great client, uh, a consumer packaged good company may owe Walmart a million, and Walmart may owe that company a at the same time Right, because yeah. money goes back and forth, right. and without you, it, it literally is just well. Let's give them a million while we're waiting for their million, and you guys can match up the flows.
0: Well, we could, but but really, that's currently not what we do. What we do okay. is actually focus a lot on paying Walmart's suppliers. Okay. And in that process, what you really want to achieve is how do you get that payment out of the door right. exactly on time? See, because you don't okay, want to pay so too early. Okay. But you have to pay exactly on time. But you also can't make mistakes. And if you do that right, and remember, these are so many transactions, more than a million, two million transactions. And if you do that right, the supplier is thrilled. Right. Walmart is extremely thrilled. The supplier then supplies on okay. time. And the consumer, you and I, can always find the stock
2: on the but store. But a million, million, you guys find out a way to recognize this and call it even.
0: That's right. I,
2: I, that's hard.
0: It's, it's, it, it requires intelligence in the middle. Right. Uh, and that intelligence you can build over time using machine learning. Uh, so, we are on that journey with Walmart. We are on the journey with Walmart, for example, Mondelez, with a customer of Walmart
2: right, and so on. Right. And then finally, for uh, for Bridgewater, which is a company we know well, you, you do some parts, it says you, know, you do some parts of HR, but it's corporate shared services. Yeah. And again, I mean, these are hard things for us to understand, but you do them well and you're getting that business. How do you get that kind of business? How do people find out about Genpack?
0: So, so to start with, having grown up with an iconic firm, when, when it was uh, Lean and Six Sigma and Jack Welch was yeah. driving it in the early days. of, We grew up at that time. And then when we spun off, we said, let's hold on to that and use it. So we are deep in Six Sigma. We are deep in process. Right. And we really understand the industries that we serve. So that's one way we get calls. The other is our net promoter score. Our clients love us, Jim.
2: Right. Uh, no, no, I know you're, you're And, and therefore, clients well. pick
0: up the phone and say, talk to these guys. And then we have to earn our stripes with the new client. There's no question. Uh, so... To some extent, we are a big believer in reputation. That's all that matters to us. Well, and we measure that through Net Promoter Score.
2: Well, you've got great lifelong clients that really do love you. And you do. a very You have a great niche. Great niche. Okay. That's Thank Tiger Tiagrajin. There we go. CEO of GenPack, Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. And it was a good quarter. I know. The stock just had run a lot. Stay with me. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. It is time! It's so over the light rail commander. And then the light rail over. Are you ready, Skeg? It's for the light rail I'm going to start with Paul in Texas.
1: Paul! Booyah, Jim. Booyah! My stock is the Interpublic Group of Companies, IPG. Very inexpensive
2: advertising stock. I'm not going to say pull the trigger, but it is inexpensive. Matt, New Jersey. Matt! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. It's an honor to speak to you. Same. I'm a first-time caller and a long-time listener. First time. Long-time. And I want to personally thank you for all you do and passing along all your knowledge to us. Thank you. Thank you. Do my best. I, and I hope you never retire because Crane America needs you. All right, I will. Okay. My wife's okay, in China. And I'm going to okay. have my ten-year-old son come on. He's going to give you the stock. Oh, there you go.
3: Booyah, Jim. What is your long-term view on Cedar Fair ticker
2: symbol fun? F-U-N, this youngin' likes yield. So do I. I think it's good. It's better, frankly, than Six Flags. There you go. I had not said it. Let's go to Dan in Florida. Dan, I love the little kids. I love that. Love. Dan in Florida. Dan.
1: Hey, Professor. A big booyah to you from the Space
2: Coast of Florida. How are you? Oh, man. My buddy's in Melbourne right now. What's going on? My buddy Bowers. My wife Hannah and I watch you every night in art. Stock is Nextera, ticker, oh well, you got to e- go one with e- Nextera. It's a growth. It's a growth utility. There are very few of them in this whole country, and you've got one. I say, oh, oh, my my God. My God. let's go to David in New Jersey. David, hey Jim Baba Bui, how are you? I am doing well. How about you? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Listen, I got a question for you. What do you think of Cisco
1: Food Services?
2: I like both Cisco's candidly. SYY is very, very good company. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know what? This is a uh, one that. I would buy it right here. I would buy Cisco right here. Let's go to William in Tennessee. Williams. Booyah from Nashville, Tennessee, Jim. Oh, Nashville, Tennessee. Long time so listener, first time caller, and I want to thank you and your staff for all you do. Staff is terrific hey, here. I'm focused long term, and uh, I want to get your thoughts on a company that they're good at sponsoring golf tournaments, but could they also lift my portfolio? Waste management. Oh, man, I'll give you both short term and long term, which is fine. Fish is doing well. You know what? They had a good quarter. There was a guy who downgraded it recently. What a buying opportunity! Let's go to Will in Ohio. Will,
1: okay, I can Hey, Will, how you doing?
2: Hey, pretty good, Jim. What's happening? First hey, time, in long time. I had a question about. I'm a first time listener of Mad Money, watching my Mad Money portfolio grow, uh, Listen to your podcast every day. Thank Lone you. On no the way home from work. There you go. Uh,
1: Visa, I bought it at about 140 How much growth do you think it has? I think you've of? got
2: that stock. Nine, has got nine, a very long nine, growth nine. path. Remember, it's still paper to plastic. What a business model. Al Kelly doing great. Don't forget MasterCard. That's a terrific one, too. We're not done. We need to go to Landon in Kansas. Landon. Hey, Jim. I'm a finance student at Kansas State, and I recently pitched Cinex Corporation in a competition. Picker Supply chain management, not, not bad. Stocks. Supply not bad. It's an interesting idea. It's a little spec but I think it's a very good idea. Let's go to Casey in Georgia. Casey.
1: Hey, Jim. Booyah from Atlanta, Georgia. I All want to right. Get your perspective on Ubiquity Networks. They announced earnings next week and have <laughs> had a great run this year. Is that more is room one to run? tough
2: one. It's up 70%. That's a tough one. I cannot opine on that one. All I can say is that don't that buy, run don't fight, and, and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round!
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Booyah! Big bull market from Georgia, Jim. Hey, what's the difference between uh, luck and a wheelbarrow? Only one of them works when you push it. I need the criminology sad face. Go pound sand. So keep those positives in mind. Oops, look at this. What fell from the tree? Maybe portfolio managers have swapped their heads for bags of hammers. Portfolio managers are exercising the First Amendment right to do incredibly stupid things. Fathers. And if not for Buffett's Kylie Jenner, like following 18 million with one Instagram. Thank you again, Heather. Boy, is she valuable today. Kylie Cosmetics, Alberts. two mentions of Kylie so far in the show. Do you have an emoji of me crying? I am sad. I have a heart. I'm not a simulation either, just for the... whenever I get a call about a stock that I'm not familiar with, uh, or maybe that I just haven't followed that closely, I always tell you the truth and promise to circle back later after doing more homework. And because this is the most interactive show on television, at least according to me, we got a real backlog of these homework questions, so let's do some spring cleaning. Okay, on January 20, uh, 31st, Chuck in Massachusetts asked me about Rapid7 RPD for you home gamers, and I said I needed to do more research before I could give you a considered opinion. Rapid is of cybersecurity play, their software handles analytics and automation with a very particular spin. This business is all about the rapidly growing field of security operations. The idea is that companies are trying to realign their cybersecurity information technology and development teams so that that better uh, security practices become baked into the day to day routine. I don't know about you, but I could use that. Now, we know that cybersecurity is one of the great secular growth stories of our time. I've been recommending a bunch of them, and I'm kicking myself for not jumping in on this one. Rapid7 stock has rallied 30% since Chuck asked me about it roughly three months ago. Now, not long after we got that call, the company reported a better-than-expected quarter with terrific guidance. Their sales are growing nicely, and this year, they finally expect to turn a profit. That's allowed the stock to levitate pretty consistently over the past few months. Then last night the story got even better. Rapid Seven reported some fantastic first quarter results, blowing the estimates out of the water. Not only did the management deliver a surprise profit, they earned two cents per share when Wall Street was looking for an eight cent loss. But they also raised their full year forecast. You know, that's always really terrific for their sales. However, there was one major piece of hair on this thing. While the full-year guidance was excellent, the guidance for the next quarter was not so high. That's why Rapid7 stock fell slightly today, down just under uh, 1%. But remember, the market was up big. So what are we going to do with this one? Are we too late? Have we missed the big money? I'll say this. If you buy Rapid7 up here, it sure feels like you're chasing. You know I don't like to chase. Stock currently trades at uh, around 10 times sales. Oh, here we go again with the sales, not earnings. That's very expensive. And even for a company with 34% revenue growth. Good company, but the stock is just too hot for this guy. If you want to buy Rapid7, I recommend waiting for a pullback so you can get in at a lower price. Too expensive for me. Next up on February 28th, Robert in New York asked me about one that I just didn't stump, and I couldn't believe I was stumped by Inogen. That's I-N-G-N, and I said I'd get back to him. This is a medical technology company that makes portable oxygen concentrators that are used by patients with long-term respiratory conditions. In the past, if you had trouble breathing, you either needed a big stationary oxygen concentrator with very long tubes or maybe a big cumbersome cylinder that's very heavy. Inogen takes a different approach. Their portable system concentrates the air around the patient to give you a single source of supplemental oxygen that you can take anywhere. And it weighs less than three pounds with up to 4.7 hours of battery life. You don't need to lug around a big tank full of compressed gas because Inogen's technology relies on oxygen that's already in the air. I think this is a very clever concept. You may have seen it. Uh, This was uh, a kind of breakthrough. Cubby's had a lot of success. This is one of those stocks that broke down during the fourth quarter. Bear market never really came back. Why not? Because when Inogen reported in February, the numbers were confusing. Company reported big top and bottom line beat, but their business-to-business sales were weaker than Wall Street expected, and they left their forecast for 2019 largely unchanged, suggesting that this year might be worse than expected. The stock got clobbered on the news. Since then, it's trended even lower, although today it showed some signs of life. It's up 4%. But man, Inogen reports again next Tuesday, and this is the kind of beaten-down stock that could really roar... If the numbers are strong, we know business is good. It's just not as good as the bulls had hoped. The thing that the, the thing this is, Indigent doesn't trade like it's priced for perfection. It trades like it's priced for failure. This was a $287 stock last summer, now $91 stock. I think it's risky. But if you're willing to speculate with your discretionary mad money portfolio, you know what? You have my blessing to put on a small position before the report on Tuesday. Only a small position, but typically I would not do that. But I'm kind of fascinated by the company. Finally, on March 7th, Nick in Connecticut called about one that I like, ePAM Systems. I said I'd circle back to it after doing some homework. What do these guys do? Well, ePAM provides software product development and platform engineering services to large companies all over the world. In other words, they help other businesses with every aspect of their software development process. Now, I had recommended ePAM as part of a homework segment 11 months ago. And while the stock has fallen off my radar screen since then, it's been a monster. It's up 43%, uh, although it's flatlined, uh, flattened off since Nick asked me about it two months ago. it's kind of been doing nothing. My view, I still think this is an excellent company with a great story. They're a software engineer, software engineer, which is how they've been able to deliver a consistent 25% growth rate the last four years, and that's sensational. But EPAM stock has been such a strong performer that I am a little concerned about it, given that the company reports earnings next Thursday, and this one's more unlike uh, Inogen's, priced for a little perfection here. But viewers know that when a stock is run going into the quarter, that's often a recipe for disappointment. It's been the case this whole earnings season. Still, I do like EPAM a lot. My view. If you want to own this one, let's hope the company reports a strong quarter next week. But the stock gets hit anyway based on profit date. And that is when you want pounds. Interesting companies this time. Stick with Kramer. Look, it was an extraordinary day today, but you know what didn't happen? A rally in healthcare. People keep thinking, you know what, this group has to go down. At a certain point, as I said earlier this week, we will get a rip snorting rally. I don't want you to give up on stocks like Centene or Eli Lilly. They've gotten very cheap versus the rest of the market. Remember what happened with the bank stocks when they got very cheap? You had to start buying them. So don't give up on a group that I know is very, very popular among so many of you because it will come back. They will come back. I like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I'm finding find it just for you, right here at Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday.
1: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast, where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.